This is a crypto finance podcast. We are holding internal knowledge sessions and publish selected episodes to share our know-how and experience with you. Signature schemes. Right. How do digital signatures work? I'm not getting too much into detail on the general stuff. We do have a cryptographer in the audience, so I don't want to blame myself. But in, in very general and also in a way that this is being used in, in, in cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and others is private public key cryptography is essentially a way to prove that you know a secret without having to spill that secret. Right? This doesn't really have an analog in the, um, in the, analog, in the, the physical world. And people often bring this, yeah, you have the, the, the lock and you have the, screw, um, the key. And the private key is not analog to the key and the public key is in some way analog to the, to the lock. But that breaks in several instances. For example, if you give me a lock at enough time, I mean, I'm not talking about the lifetime of the universe, I'm talking about just a few weeks, you can produce a key that opens that lock. Right. This will not happen in, in cryptography. The second thing is also something where I'm not sure if there is an analog example of that is you can personalize that proof that you know the secret. So if somebody claims that he knows a secret, then, then I have a problem. right? Because if I go to him and tell him, hey, prove to me that you know the secret, then he would give me a proof. And then I have to make sure that this proof that he gave me, that I cannot continue to use that. If somebody comes to me and says, hey, please prove to me that you own the secret, that I cannot use that proof. Right? I hope that's clear, because that's, that's somewhat important, that you do have a message in that digital signature scheme. So if I go to somebody and say, hey, prove to me, you prove to me that you know the secret, and I do that by, I give a message, he signs that message, I can verify that the signature is correct, um, and I could, in principle, um, use that signature. Again, if somebody comes to me and asks me, hey, please, leaving, please now prove to me that you own that private key, and he asks me to sign the same message, then I could give him the same signature. But that's not how it works. You always give your own message. If you, if you try to break that, then you end up like uh, Craig Wright, who did just that. He claimed to sign something which was actually not what he claimed he was signing, but instead a valid transaction of the ninth Bitcoin block. A lot of irritation there. Okay, so much for private-public key cryptography in general. I will now show one of the schemes that you can do this. I mean, the most famous one are obviously RSA and ECDSA. So RSA is based on primes and magic and ECDSA is based on elliptic curves and magic. I will now... Sorry, what is that abbreviation stand for? ECDSA? RSA I actually don't know. I think it's from the inventors. Do you know that? Sorry? And ECDSA is elliptic curve digital signature algorithm. Yeah, okay. So I will now show how such a signature scheme can work, uh, mostly front to back, so almost everything. And it's, it's a very, very, very naive scheme. And I'm saying that not in any negative way or diminutive way. I will also give other examples where very similar ideas are actually used in order to create cash. Um, so can be used for very fancy stuff. But it's, it's literally the scheme that you would come up with if you're five and somebody asks you, hey, Prove to me that you know the secret. How, how would you prove that to somebody? So 
fly on home to two kids five years old someone says I know my secret and the other one says prove to me and the first one is how so what, what, do, what do those two come up with because you, you don't want to, to, to tell the whole secret right? that, that, would, that would be then you spilled your beans then you cannot then you lost your power so what do you do Parts of the secret, right? That's literally what you do. So, um, and this the the message is being used in uh, in the signature scheme to determine which parts of the message you have to you have to give to, to, to the other one. Yeah, the signature scheme is used in IOTA. It's um, derivative of the Winternitz signature scheme, which I will not go into. I will go straight into IOTA signature scheme, which has a few modifications on that. On that. So, IOTA is, has a, um, a vivid history of, of, of some ternary stuff. Does somebody know what that means? Not Simon. Does somebody else know what, what, what that means? I mean, they have a, uh, the idea that they want to do low-powered um, IoT devices, and for whatever reason that I don't understand, that seems to be uh, more efficient to do in ternary than in binary. In binary, you have 0 and 1, uh, which is usually used, used uh, um, implemented in devices in, as two voltage levels between which you can flip. Ternary has minus 1, 0, and 1, so you have three levels. Where in, um, in, in binary, you then you, you group eight bits into one byte, which has values 0 to 255. In ternary, you group three trits to one trite, which has then values from 27, right, uh, 0 to 26. And the way that, I mean, I introduced this because I will use it throughout this one, uh, the way that this, they write this is um, they use the full alphabet, A to Z, to, to encode 26 different ones, and needed another character, chose to use that other character not at the end of the alphabet, but at the beginning of the alphabet. So they introduced a as 1, B as 2, and so on, up to Z, which is 26, and they needed a 0. Which character do you use for 0? 0. No. <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> they used 9 for whatever reason. <laughs> okay, so you have 9 to 9, A, B, C, up to Z. Maybe because uh, 0 is very similar to all. That, that might be a reason. <laughs> well, it looks like a small g, at least one, nine, but it, they only use uppercase characters as well. So, if you have an IOTA key, and let's take the biggest security level, they have different types of security levels. Let's take the biggest one because I think the numbers are easiest where, there. What you do is, you have a uh, private key has uh, 81 blocks of 81 trites each. Right? So you have what 81 times 81 is 6500 something, but you have A, Z, 9, T, whatever, which is 81 trites, and then you have the next block, and the next block, and the next block of each 81 trites, and you have 81 such blocks. That's a private key. What you do then is um, you generate the public key from that private key. And now already I can um, I can talk about one misnomer that happens in, in IOTA a lot. Maybe to those who used IOTA before, how long is the public key? 81 characters? 
So a bit longer. This is very often called the public key, but I would argue that this is not the public key. And the, the definitions vary there. That's certainly the address. And you often hear that in IOTA the address and the public key is the same thing, but I would argue it's not. And I will come to that difference in a second. It's actually kind of smart thing to do. Um, but the public key is actually just as long as the private key. Right? It's 81 times 81 privates. The way that you calculate the public key from the private key is you take a hash function. Let's call it um, h of z. Uh, we did have an education session about hash function functions as well. Who knows what a hash function is? Okay. <laughs> Nobody listens to the old sessions apparently. A hash function is just a function that takes an input and produces an output in a way that does not link the input to the output. So from, um, it's basically a non-invertible function, which is not a not invertible function, uh, which is not entirely true because in theory it is invertible, but it's, a, it's something that's called a trapdoor function where that's yeah, very easy to calculate in one direction, but almost impossible to calculate in the other direction. It was almost impossible, it's again lifetime of the universe, unlikely to ever get that. So it basically takes the input, mangles it in some way, produces an output. That's, that's what it does. The, the hash function that is used in IOTA is called curl, uh, K-E-R-L. They used to use a different hash function which was called curl, C-U-R-L. Uh, that was found to have like severe problems, I don't remember the details. They switched it to curl and in, on, in, an, in an attempt to transparency they made it very easy to distinguish between those two by giving them two completely different sounding names. So what you do in order to come from the private key to the public key is you take each of these blocks and apply the hash function. So take the first block, apply h to it, which gives you, I don't know, uh, maybe uh, Q, B, uh, A, Y, whatever. So it gives you a different block of 81 bytes, trites. You do that for each of the blocks, and so on and so forth. So you do this once, you do that another time, which gives you whatever. You do that another time, which gives you whatever. You do that 27 times. And after you did that 27 times, you come up with the 81 blocks of 81 trites. That is your public key. Question: How is it intuitive that you do not get the, the same uh, hash out of different inputs? Um, it is not intuitive. This is actually where where my previous thing, what I said, was was slightly wrong. Um, if you have multiple inputs that generate the same output, then by definition this function is not invertible. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it actually, I mean, a hash function is not invertible, but um, it's, it's to, to come to a more, more practical answer to your question, it does not happen by being lifetime of the universe unlikely. So this is a common question. If I have a hash of something, how can I come to the pre-image? Right? That's, um, the thing that generated that hash, how can I get that? And if the hash function is not broken, if the hash function has the properties that it should have, then this never happens. It, it would, you can calculate how much energy you would need in order to 
uh, fuel the computers that calculate that and compare that with the lifetime of the universe. <coughs> it just never happens. Um, for the same reason, you will never find two. Quick question. Uh, is every one of the 81 blocks hashed 27 times? Yes. Every single one? Yes. Independently of each other. And they are just appended at the end? They are then, in the end, just appended. That's the public key, a very long one. Mm -hmm. Then, to get the address, you take this complete public key uh, and do of that one some hash function. Honestly, I'm, not, I'm actually not sure if they use Perl for that as well, or a different one, but it doesn't really matter. The <laughs> <laughs> Two seconds and then already destroying everything. So you take a hash function, which gets you the, um, probably it's the same, I don't know, which, which gets you then the address, <coughs> which is 81 characters, 81 tries plus checksum. That's the thing that you pay to, right? So um, after doing this, um, if I now have is a, a payload, I have a message that somebody once signed, which is usually, which is an IOTA, um, or most other applications, a hash of the transaction that I want to execute. And in order to be allowed to execute the transaction, I have to prove that I know the secret for the key from which I do the transaction. Right? I, I would form a transaction which takes, let's say, keep it simple, one input, one output. Uh, I would hash that transaction, which gives me 81 tries. That's my message that I wouldn't sign. And now I have to do something with this private key up here that uses this, uh, this message, which is easy for everybody else to verify that I could only have done that if I know the private key. That's the whole point of it. So what I do is I take the, the 81 tries. I have here 81 blocks in the first, in the first line, and then the private key. It takes the, the 81 um, tries. Let's just say, go through each of these tries. Say the first one is nine. So, zero. Then I would just use this thing. That's part of my signature. The second character of my, of my message is um, M. M is the... Actually, I don't know why, but M is the last one. M corresponds to the lowest one on this line. So I would, on the second one, take... The, the last of these numbers, right? Just imagine this thing as really a big matrix of numbers with which, um, with each element of this matrix is 181 by um, tried block. So I take this one, I take this one, and the third one, let's make it easy again, I have an A. A is, corresponds to, to one. So I take this one, and so on and so forth. So this number is the index of the app maximum 27 hashes per block. Actually, so you need to keep all of them, basically. Sorry? You need to keep all the hashes, not just the last one. Um, if, well, if I know the private key... Well, you can recalculate. Then I can recalculate them. So I don't need to keep anything except for the private key. If I know the, 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 the top line, I can always go down. That's super easy. Mm -hmm. Going up is impossible. So, actually, I'm a bit irritated now. Maybe Lloyd knows better. Um, because... The, I'm a bit irritated why, why taking the lowest one would not be Z. But I know for sure that taking the lowest one is M, not Z. So, but I mean, it's, that's conventions and it's not super important. But the point is just, 
I take one from the first one, one from the second one, one from the third one, and which one I take is given by the 81 trials of the message that I want to sign. I have all of those. For me, knowing the project, it's super easy to generate all of those. For everybody else who does not, it's impossible. But everybody else who, who I give the signature to, so the signature would then be this, then this, then this, so continuing with. That's the signature. So if I give the signature to somebody and he knows the message, what can he do? Start building his own key step by step. Right. So he knows that uh, that I mean he wants to, to, to come that's the point of it, you come from, from from the message and the signature, I can get to the public key and from the public key I can do the hash and get the address. Right. So um, he would know that what I gave him here as the first block, I did not derive. So, because it was a, was a zero, right? I did not derive. So for him to come to the public key, he needs to derive 27 times. Here, I derived 27 times. So in order for him to arrive at the public key, he does not need to derive at all. He's already there. Here, where I had the one, I derived once, so he needs to derive 26 times. Right, see, so essentially, um, what I did in the beginning, calculating the public key from the private key, is now something that me doing the signature and somebody verifying the signature is doing together. I'm doing the first half, he's doing the second, second half. Then he comes to the public key. Everybody does that. Everybody who, who looks at the tangle verifies all the time. So we do that all the time. Comes to the public key. Um, he does a hash of the public key and compares if that matches the address that I'm trying to spend for. That's all. So essentially, it's really of the type that I, that I described in the beginning with the two kids. You do tell them half the secret. Right? It's not quite half the secret. And then that's another point. So um, what we did here is, in, in this example, I literally um, spilled 181 of my private key. I needed to do that. But in the other ones, I did not. I did not spill any more of my private key. Once I show. Is yeah. it always one of the indexes zero? No. So it could be that, I mean, rarely unlikely that most of them are in the bottom half. Yeah. Then your, your weakening of the signature is less severe than if it is if there's a lot of zeros in there. Yes, that's true. And this is maybe one of the points that I want to come here to. I want to come to here, whatever. Um, is that it's, it's actually a misconception, what's often repeated about IOTA, that once you have enough signatures, and enough is typically like three or four or five, whatever, you can reconstruct the private key. No, you can't. That you can reconstruct the private key, I would need to observe enough signatures that I, for each of the, um, of the columns here, um, I, I did observe a zero. That rarely happens. You, you will never, or very unlikely, very unlikely ever and maybe never at all get to the private key. So why is it then that the signature scheme, the private key does not get weaker. You, don't, you will never know that. But why is it that the signature scheme gets weaker the more signatures you observe? You can probably fake another signature. Yes. I don't need that. And if I, I know I would need a third color, but you can probably imagine that. Um, if I know that, so I know this one, I know this one, I know this one. And then 
um, along comes another um, message that I want to sign. And that message happens to ask for, say, the fourth one. I have the first one. I can easily get the fourth one by, by hashing three times. Right. So I cannot, um, I cannot get to the private key. But as long as the payload that I want to sign is lower in this hierarchy, uh, then in, 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 in all positions, in all 81 positions, um, then, then at least one of the previous signatures that I've seen, then I don't need the private key. I can just go from the previous signature. So um, you don't really brute force the private key. That's completely bullshit. That's a mis misconception. What you do if you um, if you if you if you did observe a few signatures already, is you brute force a payload. Right. So say um, there is an, an address um, of which there already exists three, four, five signatures out there. Whatever, whatever that might happen. Um, what I would do is I would generate. A transaction spanning from that address, calculate, calculate the, the hash, so the, the payload that I would need to sign. See, is it lower than ones that I know in all of the positions? Yes, okay, I can do the signature very quickly. I don't need to brute force anything there, just need to, to go down. No, and I have to generate a new one. So you would need um, a way to, to, to slightly modify a transaction, an IOTA transaction, in a way that you can still profit from it, and then iterating over through all of them until you find one which is good enough. Typical ways you could do this, let's take the, the obvious one, is you could try to spend to one address that you, that you control. If it doesn't work, spend to a different address that you control, or to a third address that you control. You can just try to which of the existing addresses, or to which, of, to which address can I spend that to? Um, that's of course very cumbersome. A more uh, convenient one would be spending from one address, from, from the address that you want to take, to two addresses. But spending one iota there and the rest there. Or spending two iotas there and the rest there. Three, four, whatever. So you would just each generate valid transactions and see which one of them you happen to be able to sign. This, this message is being signed here. Is that just an address or does the amount also go in there? Somewhere? It's a hash of a complete transaction. Of everything. So okay. here you could change the hash by changing the amount as well, right? Yeah, and it even gets one step stupider. <laughs> Sorry, one step different. I don't want to judge on this regard. IOTA used to have um, something that I called a tag, which is similar to the tag in Ripple, right? Just gives you an, an, an additional information that you can put in the transaction, which, uh, which they stopped using. I don't know the history of why they stopped using it. It's still part of the transaction, though. Mandatory, right? It's, it's, it's in there. It's a number uh, that you have to put there. You can put whatever you want. Um, it enters the signature, it enters the, the hash of the payload, but it has no, no value. So it could, can, be done, can be used as a nonce. This, this tag is actually, because it's mandatory, it's called the obsolete tag. It's literally the variable name in the, in the um, transaction. Uh, and it does have one meaning. I, I've been slightly um, uh, a bit too aggressive now. It does have one meaning. 
I lost count of which how, how many normalizations or checksums or whatever there are in the signature scheme, but one is that the um, that the bundle the, the, the bundle hash the, the thing the payload that you want to sign um, has to have the condition that the sum of all characters is zero. So you generate one to see is it zero. If no, then you modify this obsolete tag and you, you continue from the beginning. This is a checksum that is somewhat enforced. So this is already a Norse field in a sense to, to, to fulfill a checksum that they want fulfilled. But you can, I mean, this field is plenty big enough. So you, you can just iterate through that, generate new transactions that, that in, in, on the block explorer and everywhere look precisely as every other, because why would the block explorer show the Norse? doesn't have a meaning, mostly. So that's what IOTA would do. It would not weaken the private key, it's wrong, but it would make it easier to brute force a payload, a transaction that actually goes through trivially with the information that you have publicly available. That's probably most of what I want to say. Are there any questions? Uh, you need to find, if I understood it correctly, you need to find the payload so but the corresponding index is always below of whatever you have already. For each of the indexes at the For same time. For each of the 81 blocks. Yes. Oh yeah, that's actually... And the yeah. statistics, if you, let's say, you have one, two, three, did you do the math on how fast that deteriorates? Um, I did not do the math, no. Um, but, um, I mean, there are papers that do the math. I'm not sure if there is one for IOTA. There surely is for internet signatures, which is um, same thing in binary, so you um, you either derive, you either hash or you don't hash. In that case, it's quite literal that uh, with each each signature you, uh, you 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 give away half of your key. Right? It's just you don't know which half. Um, and if then somebody asks you to sign a message, then um, but it feels, to be honest, this feels a bit off. Because this is, I mean, if, if this were a signature scheme of the type, um, I own, uh, I, I, I know a private key, or I claim I know a private key, Jan comes to me, gives me one <coughs> payload, I have to sign that. Then I don't have the possibility to, to brute force the, the message. But, but in, the, in the way that we just described, you can brute force the message. You can generate new messages until you find one that you can validly sign. Um, and that does feel a bit... I mean, I'm sure somebody did the math and it's fine, but um, I mean, um, there is the claim, this is something that a lot of me discussed before, uh, that the, the more levels you have here, that you have 27 levels as opposed to two, makes it so that you can have shorter keys. Right? So the question is between memory, the size of the key, and CPU time, the, the number of hashes that you need to do on average. But I don't really believe that, intuitively. I don't believe that. There's a problem with cryptography. Intuition is most likely wrong. Um, because on, on average, just on average, I will be somewhere in the middle. Right? So the, the expectation value is that, that I give away like half of the hashes already. And this does not change. Right? If, if, there is, um, if you do a million hashes before, between the private key and the public key, expectation value is um, by 500,000. If I do with 27, the expectation value is at 13. So um, 
which makes it for, for each of the um, of the indexes for each of the indices um, independent of how many hashes actually happen but for each of the indices the probability that a second one is below one that I previously did is I would guess now intuitively 50% does not depend on the number of hashes that I did right so to, to have this um, to have to, to, use, to do it this way that you have rather short keys um, which, which also feels weird to say, right? Because uh, 6,500-something six, 6, tries is, is not a short key. But someone only having 27, uh, sorry, only having 81 um, positions in your key does sound to me a bit low. And I did tell you in the beginning that, um, that what I'm telling here is already for security level 3. Right? So you can, in IOTA, choose the length of your key. Um, if you choose security level 1, then your private key is 27 blocks of 81 trials. And your message is only 27 trials. Security level 2 is then 54, and security level 3 is 81. So you can have signatures of as little as 27. And then it feels a bit weird, but Again, um, that's the problem with cryptography. Intuition can be very wrong. Yeah. The curl is a bit of a special case of a hash function, right? So it's not really hashing a bigger part into a small, dedicated size of, uh, of, of a message. It's basically um, um, the same size map, the same size of a message. So do you know whether curl is injective or bijective or surjective? So first, curl is used here with equal length of input and output, but it is a general hash function. It would also work for others. In this case here, you know in this case, um, I'm pretty sure that it's not bijective. Right? Um, just because uh, I'm, I'm not sure how a proof of, for surjective would work, um, given that this is like avalanche effect. Right? It's, it's supposed to be chaotic and unlinkable to the input. So you would have this, this comes back to the discussion I made before. For subjective, you would need to prove that no two hashes have the same pre image, and you, I'm pretty sure that you cannot prove that. Well, I guess you probably figure this out, but then uh, this also means that the more you hash, you will probably lose information down the way where you go. That means if, if it's not subjective, it's if it's uh, it's gonna map into a smaller. Um, region or a smaller volume than the 81 times 20 uh, or 9 and uh, it's a uh, 27 to the, to the power of uh, 81 for each um, space and when if it's not subjective it's going to go to a smaller space right on every projection I don't get that so that means I mean you, you can have um, a bijective function that maps five inputs to five outputs it's just a permutation I mean, if it would be uh, bijective, then this would be a permutation. Yeah, but on every on every application of curl, you will lose some some of the space, right? I it's finite. So. It's it's not twenty-seven. No, yeah, I mean, in, in principle, you could also map to yourself. There, there might be an input that maps to itself. I'm not sure how it gets smaller. Yeah, but and even if it gets it's smaller, not than not all of the of the output uh, values are possible. 
that means you will not be able to reuse them. What, why because not of all the conditions? Huh? Because of the conditions. Yeah, okay, we, we, we are talking about uh, 27 to the power of 81. Yes. Versus 27 to the power of 81 minus 27. Which is like negligibly small. But, but even then, I don't believe that this is true. Because let's just assume that this is bijective, it would be a permutation. You would just, just have something of the type uh, you have three inputs and you have three outputs and um, something maps to something, but you don't know yeah, which order. Yeah, but it's not a permutation because you also can change the value, right? So it can be all A at the end. So a mapping could be all A, so it's not a permutation of, of A, B, C, D, 9, whatever. No, no, not so a permutation, a permutation exactly of uh, in this space of 27 <coughs> to the power of A1. Yeah. In that space, a permutation. So you would have like 27 to the power of 81 inputs, 27 to the power of 81 outputs. If it would be bijective, it would be permutation exactly. of those. Yeah, exactly. But That's there, okay. there I don't but see how you reduce this. If you go one step, you will lose some. Because if it's not a permutation, or if, if it's not a mapping, then some of them will be excluded in one step. That means they will not appear anymore in the next step. So that means your field will always get smaller. Okay, so you know, that would be the case if it's not bijective. Exactly. Ah. If it's not, it's, it's surjective. That means not all the output points would be touched, and they will they will be you know what I mean, right? They will not be in the in the um, target space. That means if you use it, this apply is, this again, is, that would be not subjective. It's not subjective. I guess I don't know what it is, but uh, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the the size by which that if it shrinks, the size by which it, by which it shrinks is negligible. Probably apply it to a smaller space, like with three or four, and figure it out. Maybe there is already a first, first touch. It could be interesting to see how powerful it is. Yeah, but what yeah. I meant, what I meant yeah. is that if you apply it a million times, it could be that it's a lot weaker. So it at some point, it would probably right? so at some point yeah, it just could probably lose because you just apply to to a stale or almost stale mapping. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's still big, even. Yeah. I, I see your point. Yeah. This must essentially be, be be this one if you if you say so something similar to this, where you say okay, I have three inputs, three outputs, but actually this one maps there, and this one also maps there, and this one maps exactly. there, and this, this one's never one's used. This so if I apply the same function again, then then uh, in this case it would be. And it will never go back to that point. So it would never go back to that point. So you would lose points on the way, but um, but 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 I, I mean I. I'm pretty sure that this is really negligible. Especially at least when we do it 27 times, right? So that's not, not yet a big number. Are there other questions? No. <laughs> In that case, thank you very much. This episode was brought to you by CryptoFinance. We are happy to receive comments and feedback. Email your thoughts to research at cryptofinance.ch.